You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. Let me pray for us and then we're going to finish up our section of Genesis and then take a break from it and we'll pick it up uh, next year uh, at some point. So let me pray and, and we'll dive in. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for each one that is here, Father God. Lord, now we pray for your spirit to help us. Um, Lord, to, for your spirit to help me speak clearly. And um, Lord, for your spirit to work in the people that are listening and hearing your word. Father, we know, um, again, that your word never goes, comes back void, Lord. And you are working in us all the time. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do so um, in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, what we're going to look at today is um, basically the story of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> we're going to allude to uh, chapter 10, um, some, that that's the, the, the genealogies, the the, the uh, family tree of Noah with the three different sons moving out. So, but today what we do is we wrap up our time in the book of Genesis um, and it closes the prehistory of Israel. That's what Genesis 1 through 11, 9 does. It is telling us the, the prehistory history of, of, of Israel. And then as we move forward or when we move forward, we'll get into Abraham and the, and the calling of his people and making his own people. So last week, Daniel walked us through the reminder that unfortunately, right, that we get, we had lists and lists and lists of all the things that, that were on the ark and some of the things to get off the ark, but one thing wasn't listed, but we know that was there, right? And that was the seed of the serpent. That was sin. Sin got on the ark, and sin got off the ark, unfortunately, right? Um, and, and Daniel uh, showed us that uh, with, with Noah getting drunk, and then one of his sons um, sinning against him by seeing him naked. We looked at the story of Noah, right, as I just mentioned. The story is kind of odd for us. And we're looking at that story of Noah and his sons and seeing one son seeing um, him naked and it was cursed. And uh, the other son, um, the other two sons covered him up and they were, they were blessed. And, and for our ears and, and for our eyes as we read it, that's kind of odd um, for us. But I just want to remind you what Daniel kind of started out his sermon with last week. And, and I know some of you may, may not have heard it, but he, he was just trying to preface everything that he was about to say to saying, I mean, much of this does not make sense if our lenses that we use to look at the life around us is not governed by the Word of God. Right? If we use the lens that the culture gives us, even sometimes, and not saying that this is bad, even the lens that our family or our friends gives us, right, to look at the world around us, it's going to be skewed from what the Word of God says. And whenever we get to passages like that, and maybe even as we look at the Tower of Babel today, we're looking at it through these lenses, and, and we're like, that just doesn't, that's just odd. That just doesn't make sense. There's no relevance for me there. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament, that's exactly um, what happens is we're reading these things that are happening and it's like, man, I just, I can't reconcile that with, with this person that I read about in the New Testament, but trust me, it's the same 
God. In fact, Jesus said that everything in the Old Testament was about him. Everything was pointing to him, right? Everything was pointing to him. So, with that, with what lens um, do we see the world around us? Is kind of what Daniel challenged us in the beginning of his sermon. Do we see it through these other lenses or through the biblical lens? So after all, this is one of the purposes of, of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It is to give you a biblical lens of how the world started. That's exactly what he, Moses is writing to the Israelites and trying to do. He's trying to show them, look, this is the God that is telling you to go into the promised land. This is who he is. Right? This is the purpose. And this is some of the purpose, one of the purposes among many, of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It, it tells us God is the creator of all things. God created everything, even you and me. He created us. The history of man is that we are made in the image of God, and this image is ruined by sin, causing evil to spread throughout the world. It teaches us that God is a personal, loving God who wants to be in relationship with his creation and has began a plan to restore all things from that sin. Although God is a loving God, he is also a just, perfectly holy, as we sang about God. And because of his character, he must judge those that break his law. He has to, or he's no longer a holy, just God. He has to do that. We have seen this judgment We have seen him kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, cursing the snake, exiling of Cain, the flood. We've seen, but each time we have seen his judgment, we have seen his grace. Each time, his judgment, his grace. And we kind of put it together as we see salvation through his judgment. The title of our sermon series has been Purpose to promise. This is what this section of Genesis encapsulates. God's purpose for you and me and everyone he creates to the promise of Abraham, to the promise of making him a people, which we are now part of. We've been folded in to his people through the blood of Jesus. So what is his purpose for us? What is your purpose? He tells us before the flood, and he tells us and reiterates it after the flood. He says in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the flesh of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 9.7, After the flood, he reiterates the same thing. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So in essence, what he's telling us to do is spread his image all over the earth. Spread his image all over the earth. As image bearers, we are to take his image all over the planet. And we know as Christians now, as history has progressed, we know that as Christians we are his ambassadors, we are his image bearers, who are also carrying what a message, the good news of what Jesus has done, the good news of the gospel. 
This is the purpose God set out in the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply over the entire earth. And when we, are, we begin to look at our passage today in chapters 10, in the beginning of chapter 11, what we find is man yet again disobeying God. Not doing what he's asked to do. So let me read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. It says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves. Thus we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there and confuse their languages, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from their from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So if you have been reading along with us, and you've maybe got through chapter 10 and all the different genealogies, and then we get to chapter 11, you might have noticed something that is maybe contradictive, right? Because what we read in, in the very first line of chapter 11 doesn't coincide with what was said in chapter 10 to some degree. Let me just read the two passages, a little, the two verses, and there's multiple verses in chapter 10, but the, the main one is, is chapter 11. It says this, in, in chapter 10, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. Okay, so they all had their own language. That's what it's saying in chapter 10, right? It's saying that, 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 that Noah's descendants, right, they all spread out, they all had their own clans, they had all their nations, and they had their own languages. And then we turn the page to chapter 11, and what do we read? Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Well, which is it? Were they, were they spread out in chapter 10 and then we get to chapter 11? And I really believe, and this is what everybody else that I've read agrees, is what the author Moses is kind of doing here in, in verses 1 through 9. Is he's given us a flashback. He's given us, okay, how did this happen? Right? We've seen this. We've seen this in movies. We've seen this in, in TV shows. Um, one of the shows I like watching is NCIS, and, and they always do that a lot. The, the writer um, does this a lot, where he'll give you a scene, and then they'll stop it, and then the rest of the show is, is getting you back to that scene. And that's the kind of what, what, the write, what Moses is doing here as he is writing this. He's writing this as a flashback, like, okay, how did all this happen in chapter 10? Right here in Genesis 11. One through nine. Moses in chapter 10 lists out all the peoples, clans, and nations, all having their own language, all of which are coming from one man, Noah, right? His sons, his wives, and, and all of their sons, and on and on and on and on. 
telling us we are all connected because we are all descendants of Noah. We're all connected because we're all from the same descendant, which is Noah. So what chapter 10 does, it holds in tension the unity of the tribes and nations as of one blood under God's blessing, be fruitful and multiply, and their diversity into many language under God's judgment, him saying, let us go down and confuse their languages. That's kind of chapter 10 in a nutshell. It's holding these two things together. They're all of one person, Noah, one bloodline, but they're, they're scattered and, and, and diversified because of God's judgment on them. Chapter 10, also referred to as the Table of Nations, declares that all people derive their existence from the life-giving power of God and are responsible to Him. Because we're all descendants of Noah, because God is the one that breathed life into all of us, we are then responsible to Him. And I know that even everything within me who has walked with the Lord for 20 years, and, and maybe you sitting there who um, came in and, and you're, you're just trying to figure out this Christian thing, is it real, is it not real? Or maybe you who have walked with him for a long time, many times, is it not your feeling that everything within you just screams back at God? I'm not responsible to you. But man, many times we feel that way, but that's just not true. We are. He gives us everything. He gives us our, our breath in our lungs. He gives us the energy to do things. That's kind of why I read Acts 17. Paul says this as he's giving the arguments, right? In his speech in Acts 17. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. All made from one Man, all responsible to the one that made us God. R. Kent Hughes helps us apply this to our, our world today. All people are united to one another, both by their ancestry and by their responsibility to their creator. There's the word again, responsibility. We're responsible to him. But at the same time, all people are divided by geography and language and ethnicity and culture. And most of all, by their fallenness and sin, which separates them both from God and each other. From God and each other. If we are all united together by ancestry and have the same responsibility, that means every person you encounter, regardless of whatever differences there are, that person has dignity. And should be treated as such. It doesn't matter what the differences are. You see that, that, that what rises up inside of us whenever we look at somebody that may be different than us. And, and, and there's some kind of angst or anything towards them. What is rising up in us is sin. And we need to recognize it as such. So that we may repent of that. But with this wonderful table of nations and showing us that, that we all come from Noah and we're, we're all connected in a way, it's showing us because we are in his image, every single person on the planet has dignity. They have dignity and should be treated 
as such. And as Christians, we should recognize why there is division. Sin is why there is division. What do you think that the solution is? Is it a a political party? Is it a, a social stance? Is it this, that, and the other? No, it's the gospel. That's the one and only thing that will ever bring unity. I know that so many people have uh, like plastered Facebook with this, and I've seen it around different social media um, places, and even on the, the brief TV that I watched. That man, we we want to all go back to the September twelfth America, where we are all united. Were we really united? I'm pretty sure. When I remember that whole instance that we're still yelling at each other about what's the right thing to do. The only way that we're all going to be united is if we're all in Christ. And we understand that we can come out of hiding. We know that that our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, I do not have to to hold any animosity towards this person or that person because I know my wretchedness before a holy and just God. That's what's going to create unity. If we're all in Christ and our sins are forgiven. So what sin did the descendants of Noah commit that caused God to divide them so drastically. And really, in in verse 4 of chapter 11, he kind of sums it up all for us in one verse. Look with me in in verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we dispersed over the face of the whole earth. There it is in a nutshell. What did they do? What did they do to cause God to come down, confuse their languages, to separate them, to cast them out, to push them out over the whole earth, even though that's what he's called them to do and, that, and, and charged them with you and blessed them to do. It's all right here in verse 4. They wanted to build a city, build a tower, make a name, so they will not be dispersed over the whole earth. That's what they did. Build a city, build a tower, Make a name so that they cannot be dispersed over the earth. The first two actually correspond with the second two. If you build a city, it prevents you from being what? Spread out over the earth. You're going to the city. You're part of the city. You come within the city. Many times cities, I know as soon as we think city, we probably go to New York or or Chicago or some big city. But but their cities, most likely all of them had some kind of structure around them. Kind of like a, a castle maybe. But they had some kind of protection. They all went to the city and it's keeping them from being dispersed. And building a tower is how they will make a name for themselves. It's how they want to make a name for themselves. That's what they even said. Let us make a name for ourselves. What were they doing? They were, they were rebelling against God. God has, has given them what to do, and, and they were rebelling against Him. Sin is brought front and center one more time. 
And the interesting thing is I studied this passage and I'm looking at this passage. It's like, okay, man, all these other patterns we have seen judgment. We've seen you pointing out our sin and then there's grace. Man, there's, there's, have you read? There's no grace. He just levels the, the charge against them and disperse them out. And he moves on. But that's if we stay right here with this passage. We've got to look at the whole Bible to see the grace. Because God is full of grace. He is full of grace. So the first two correspond with the second two. And, and as we have consistently done um, here at Mountain City, we, we look at our sin and, and we look at us fighting sin in the form of a tree. The tree is a, a picture that is all through the Bible. At, the, at, the, at the, the top of the tree is you have fruit, and obviously underneath the earth is you have roots. So what is going on with the sin of these people? They want to build a city. They want to make a name for themselves. Right? The fruits. What is the outward expressions of that? Well, they give it to us in our passage. The outward expressions of the root of their sin is building a city, making a name for themselves. This would be the, the fruit that would be hanging on their tree. But what is the root? What are the roots of their sin? Because, brother and sister, we can repent of fruit all day long. But if we don't get to the root... And then take the gospel of Jesus and cover the root, then, then we're just spinning our wheels. We'll feel good about ourselves for a little bit until that fruit pops up again. But unless we go and get the root, you know, we're just spinning our wheels as Christians in this pursuit of holiness. That, that the one thing that we know God's will for us is, is for us to be sanctified, for us to be more holy, more like Him, more like Christ. So what are the roots? We need to ask the question, why would we need to make a name for ourselves, right? That's how we find the root of, of many of the, of the sins that come out. We, we start asking questions about it. Why do I need to make a name for myself? What are we loving, worshiping, trusting more than God? See, we ask questions of the, 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 the fruit of our sin so that we can get to the roots and replace that with the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus. So maybe they want to make a name for self because they were trying to form an identity. What other people think of you or what they think of themselves. Maybe that's what we do sometimes. Maybe we're trying to, to make a name for ourselves because we're so worried about what other people think of us. Maybe, you know, at that point in time, Maybe they're trying to fulfill whatever definition, their own definition of success or their family's definition of success. They're all gathering together. We're going to make a name for ourselves. I think many times we can get caught up in that rat race, can't we? We get caught up in, in what the culture tells us success looks like, what we should be doing. But I think the main thing that, that we see in, in looking at this passage is it was for the love of praise. That's, they want to make a name for themselves. They're going to make this big tower. They're reaching to their God. And we know that, that all through the, 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 uh, 
that we've seen in, in, in all the, the world around them, that they're constantly trying to, to worship other gods. So maybe for the, the praise, for the love of praise, maybe they just love people praising them. So they're going to make a name for themselves. So that's kind of some of the questions we can ask to get at the root. But what about building a city? Well, I I believe the heart issue could be the love of security. To build a city because they did not trust God's provision. God blessed them. He said that I'm going to take care of you. And and you can see why why, um, Moses would be saying this whenever he's talking to Israel before they go into the promised land. He's trying to show them. Don't. Don't disobey God. Don't do this. Go into the promised land. Trust that your God will protect you. He sees all these different um, civilizations that God is going to have to to, uh, conquer for the Israelites in order for them to take the promised land. And he's saying, look, don't trust in the cities. I can take care of that. I'm I'm your protection. Trust in me. God's will for human beings is not that we find our joy in being praised, but that we find our joy in knowing and praising Him. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. We're to humbly say, I am nothing without Christ. In my weakness, He is strong. God's will is not that we find our security in cities, but in God who we gladly obey. Our security is in Him. Which kind of shows us that we are no better off after the flood than before the flood. Right? That sin did get in and get off of the boat. Human beings are, are bent to decide what is best for themselves. We were constantly saying, did God really say that? Which takes us back to the garden. Now, before we kind of dismiss as something that happened way back then, and we've kind of moved beyond that, like, man, we just, we don't do that. That's, that's, there's not much difference. Especially coming off of a, a day that we remembered 9-11. Where folks believing to inflict punishment and harm to a nation and people. Why do you think those terrorists targeted those specific buildings? In the World Trade Center, representing by far the God of our nation, which is the dollar bill, where men have gathered together to build a city, to build a name for themselves. I mean, if you read anything about Tim Keller, that's the number one thing that he talks about, about everybody in New York City, he's a preacher in New York City, is that everyone comes to New York City to do what? To make a name for themselves. And many of those tall buildings in New York City represent those who have come and made a name for themselves. And that's what they targeted. The plane that went down in Shanksville, headed for our capital, which is the building representing our government. 
which is formed by so many trying to make a name for themselves to gain power. To gain power. And the Pentagon, representing where so many put their security. In our military, in our mights, in our ability to wage war. But our security should be in the God who created everything. And even in Frostburg, Maryland, we are not immune to this pursuit. So how are we trying to make a name for ourselves? What are we trusting in more than God of the Bible for our security? Whose kingdom are you trying to build? Are we building his kingdom? Because he he told us to, to go and spread his image, take his message all over the planet. Are we spending so much time building our kingdom that we don't have time to do what God has called us to do. We want, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to build a city to protect us. And sometimes our city looks like a good 401k and a, a good job and, and a, a nice big house and everything that the culture says makes us safe. But we know that can be taken away too. Ask those in Louisiana who just suffered the hurricane. So as, as I was thinking about this in my own life, Four words just kept coming up as I looked into my heart, into the, into, into the root of, okay, what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a shy person, so maybe I'm not trying to, to make a name for himself, but I sure am trying to impress people. <laughs> I'm so worried about what, you, what others think of me. That's the root of my sin. And as I was thinking about it and processing it and trying to, trying to, to think, okay, whose kingdom are you building, Joe? It seemed like every time I was thinking about it and praying about it, it, four words came up. And maybe I'll give you these four words, and maybe this can be a diagnostic tool for you. To, to make you stop and think, okay, am I trying to make a name for myself? What am I trusting in for security other than God? And these four words is this. If I only had. If I only had. If I only had more money. If I only had more relationships, if I only had more stuff, if, only, if I only had more intelligence, if I only had four simple words that get me in trouble all the time, it's a very good diagnostic of my heart to see what, whose kingdom are you building, Joe? If I only had, why are you even asking that question? God has given us everything. If we're walking with him. Maybe this week you can find some alone time with God this week and, and evaluate your life and see where you're saying, if I only had. Or maybe the next time, maybe the next time that, that this comes up in your heart, you can quickly take captive that thought. If I only had, wait a minute, I don't need to think that. I don't have to wish that. The, if I only had. Why? Because we have the scriptures. We have hundreds and hundreds of promises. 
Right? Jesus says if, if He'll take care of the lily in the field, He'll definitely take care of us. Maybe we can capture the thought when if I only had comes up. And then we can take God's promises. We can repent, turn from it, and take His promises and replace it and replace those thoughts. So they were trying to build a name for themselves. They were trying to build a city to protect the trust, their security in. This is what they did, but now we got to look at see what God said and what God did, because that's the most important thing. God was not certainly happy about their sin. Let's look at what he said in Genesis 11, 5 through 9. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they uh, propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, they're, and, they're conf- and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off buildings the city. Therefore, its name was called um, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. We can't read this like God's worried that they're going to do something out of his control. We can't, we can't read it that way as if humans can threaten him or, or do something out of his sovereignty or providence. Instead, we, he was troubled. He was troubled at this. You see his heart, he was, he was troubled at it and left unchecked. He's thinking, right? Like if, if they're left unchecked, they'll just be self-sufficient, 2,000 years later, or I guess this would be almost 4,000 years later, (laughs) we live in a pretty self-sufficient society, don't we? And this was God's concern. It was his concern that they would no longer be like Enoch and walk with him, no longer be like Noah and walk with him, that they could do it all on their own. So God sends down his judgment and confuses their languages and disperses them throughout the earth, which we can read about in chapter 10. With God's judgment being complete, Moses concludes in Genesis eleven nine. therefore its name is called Babel because there, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Or Kent Hughes sums it up well. Babel no longer meant the gate of God as the tower builders had it. Nor was it the navel of the earth as Moses' pagan contemporaries liked to call it. But it came to mean mixed up and confused. Signifying a place of meaningless Babel. The site of alienation and scattering. All through the Bible, Babylon became a symbol of pride and godlessness that attracts God's judgment all through the, the rest of the Old Testament and even into the, no, into the new. In chapter 10, 1 through 9, you can read how Genesis links the fate of Sodom with that of Babylon. Sodom and Gomorrah that was, was burned down because they were um, having sexual sin all over the place. We can read of the judgment of Babylon in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Daniel. 
Likewise, in the New Testament, Babylon is described as the great harlot, the persecutor of God's people in the embodiment of pride. Although there is not much hope given to us in our passage today, there is hope when you look at the entirety of the Bible. The prophet Zephaniah gives us a promise of great reversal. Of where God has has dispersed all his people and they speak different languages. In Zephaniah 3.9 it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. And now we all can call upon the name of the Lord. And then came the Messiah and his death and resurrection. And then at Pentecost, we have the reversal. In Acts 2, 2 through 6, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done spoke to all the different languages so everybody can understand. And one of the, one of the precursors to Jesus coming back is that the gospel is preached to every language. We're still efforting that today. The day is coming when sin will destroy and perfect unity will be restored among the nations. In the book of Revelation, the holy city is seen as coming down out of heaven with gates open to unite the nations. One day, we will all be gathered together. In Revelation 21.10 it says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And you jump down to verse 24, it says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of all nations. Then and today, the message is the same. We must leave Babel with its proud dreams and God-defying ways if there is to be any hope. We must stop, repent of building our own name, of building a city of refuge, whatever that may look like for us. We must turn and trust God. We must abandon the search for security in the city of man, and we must repent of pursuit of the making or of our own name. We must leave off chasing after a name and find our identity in Christ. We're born again. You're now a new creature in Christ. We go to the Word of God to find our identity. We are who He says we are. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And who he says we are, he's going to work that out in us. Are we just supposed to sit back? No, we are not. We are supposed to strive. Every day. 
As Paul said, he worked harder than the rest of them, but it was not him working, God working in him to do the work. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. See, you don't have to make a name for yourself. There's a, a name been given to you that's greater than anything that you can build for yourself on this planet, and that is child of God. There is no fortress. There's no amount of money. There is nothing that you could build for yourself that is more trustworthy, that is more secure than you being a child of God. So it begs the question today, have you repented and believed in Jesus? Are you a child of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us look into our hearts. Help us ask, do I truly trust in Jesus? Do I believe that that he was who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserve, that he rose on the third day and is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for us today. Do we believe that? Not just one time, but do we believe that for everything in our life? Help us, Lord. Send your spirit. Change hearts that need changed. Encourage hearts that need encouraged. Lord, we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.